0: Uh, This morning, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read a story. It's uh, about Jesus starting his ministry. Uh, And the truth of this morning is sometimes the hardest people in our lives to tell about Jesus are those that are closest to us. It's our family members. Sometimes it's the people that we know really, really well That maybe is the hardest for us to have a conversation. This isn't true for everyone by any means. Uh, But for some of us, it's easier to talk to a stranger about Jesus and about the truth of God than it is to talk to a sibling or a parent or a child. Um, And we're going to see something very similar in our text today. Jesus is going to go to his hometown uh, in the midst of his kind of coming out and everyone's receiving him and everyone's real positive and he's going to be rejected in his hometown. I was talking with one of our members recently and uh, he was just telling me about his, his passion in his heart for his family that are lost. And he was just talking about how, you know, he's tried and he's he's invited them to things and he's gone to their house. He's invited them to his house and he's trying to get them to come to church and all this stuff. And in about six months, God's done some pretty miraculous things in their family. Um, And sometimes it it takes longer than six months. (laughs) Sometimes it takes decades and sometimes it takes a long time. Uh, But it's really cool to see how God is using him and his family if you're struggling with that today, right, if you're being rejected by those near you and your family and your friend group, uh, don't give up. Don't give up. Pray for them. Pray for them often and keep teaching them the good news. I want us to think about this question today as we read this text. Why do some people reject this good news? Why does this town of nazareth so hate this good news that jesus is coming to bring why why what is their reason for being so against it when so many others hear this good news and believe and they receive it with joy and they're excited about it why why is there such a difference and i think jesus is going to give us the answer this morning so let's look at luke 4 starting in verse 14 And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Notice the good response. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. What we've heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, So that they could throw him down the cliff, but passing through their midst, he went away. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning, God, and I thank you for the truth of it. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, and to the oppressed. God, I thank you for your, your word, God, because you know our need this morning. God, and you saw our need for a Savior, and you met it in Jesus. You sent Jesus to be exactly what we need. God, I pray for those in the room this morning that think of themselves differently, that don't think of themselves as poor and blind and captives and oppressed, God, but they think of themselves as elevated and having all that they need and, and, and fine without Jesus. God, I pray that you would humble us this morning, God. God, it's only the humble that will receive you. And so I pray that this morning, God, we would not be prideful, God, but that we would see our need for you. And so we love you. We, we praise you. I pray that you would help uh, your word to make sense this morning, God. God, and I do lift up those with family members who don't believe. Those who have witnessed and shared and prayed for and, and given consistent effort through many years, God, I pray this week, I pray this month, I pray this year, God, that you would produce a harvest. God, I pray that you would embolden us to share with our families, with our friends, those closest to us, God, the good news of Jesus. And I pray that many would respond, not in wrath like the people of Nazareth, God, but they would respond uh, with great joy for the good news that they have heard, God. God, we pray that you would save many through your word. We pray all this in your son's name, amen. All right, look at verse 14. So we get, uh, Luke begins... And he began his gospel, he said that he was trying to give an orderly account. Now, orderly does not mean chronological. And so Luke actually skips about a year of Jesus' ministry. He just leaves out a whole year. You can go read about it in John. And he's, Jesus is all over the place for about a year in the north part of Israel, Galilee. But, but Luke skips over that, and he goes straight uh, to this scene uh, in Nazareth. And so it says in verse 14 that uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report, went about, a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So Galilee is northern Israel. Uh, it's about the size of Angelina County. It's about 20 miles. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. It's not there. Uh, It's about the size of Angelina County, just believe me, all right? So if something miraculous was happening in Angelina County, what are the chances that you and I would know about it? Pretty good, right? Word travels in a small town. Anybody ever had word travel about them in a small town? All right, good. All of us probably, right? And so Jesus is going about doing his ministry and word is spreading about what he's doing. Uh, What is he doing? Well, we see this in the other Gospels, that Jesus' ministry was two things. It was preaching about the kingdom, preaching about the good news of God, teaching, preaching and teaching, but also doing miracles, right? He's healing people, he's casting out demons, and he's doing these works to prove that his teaching really is from God. Now, his primary ministry is teaching, and we see. In verse, we see that in verse 15, he says, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. See, Jesus is the Word of God, and he came to teach us the Word of God, right? Primarily, that's what Jesus came to do. He does miracles. He does miraculous things to prove that his Word really is true, but he's teaching us the truth of who God is, how we can relate to him, and it says that he's teaching this in their synagogues. Now, synagogues are, uh, if you don't know, they're local gatherings of Jewish believers, okay? And so this started when the people got exiled from Jerusalem, exiled from the land of Israel, and they, they could not travel back to the temple where God's presence was. And so what they started to do was in their little towns, they would gather together And they would study God's word. Not that unlike what we're doing here this morning, right? They would gather weekly to hear the Old Testament read. They would read things together. They would, uh, I don't know that they sang in the synagogues, um, but they would get together. Now, they still went to the temple for sacrifices and festivals, and that was still where God's presence dwelled in the Old Testament, But Jesus went around to these small gatherings of Jewish people, and he was teaching them God's word. He's teaching them the Old Testament, and what is Jesus doing when he's doing that? He's pointing out in the Old Testament how uh, it points to him, and it says in verse 15 that he was glorified by all. all. Right. So this first year of ministry. is going really well for him, right? Things are going really well. He's got a following. He's got a crowd. People are liking what he has to say. They're impressed by the miracles, right? This is a, there's a lot of buzz and energy and momentum surrounding Jesus' ministry until he goes to his hometown. Verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Remember, Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. so this is where he would have been brought back to as a child and raised he may not have lived there all 30 years but this is his hometown these are his people these are people that know him they know joseph they know mary they know his family they know the whole thing they saw him rise up right um i felt this a little bit when when you called me to be your pastor right so, so many of you uh, knew me as little fifth grade Byron, right? right? Little weird, goofy little fifth grade Byron, right? And that's like hard for you to get out of your mind a little bit, right? You don't have to confess it right now. It's okay. I know it's there. And Jesus comes back to his hometown where he is known. And people remember that day that Jesus did that and how he was friends with so-and-so, right? They know him, little Jesus, Son of Mary. Son of Joseph. And it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. And he stood up to read. What would have happened is they they would have had priests and others in their community that would have normally taught. But they would have asked other people from the gathering to read and to maybe explain or to talk about what that means. And I don't know if Jesus asked to read that day or if they were just like, oh, it's Jesus. He's here. Let's, let's get Jesus to read today. And so he, he, he stands up, and he gets a scroll. And I don't know if he asked for Isaiah. I, I, I'm not sure. Some say he did. Some say he, did, he didn't. Or if that's what they were just reading that day. But he gets the scroll of Isaiah, and he scrolls down. That's a pun. That's bad. And he goes down to chapter 61. He deliberately chooses this passage about the Messiah and he quotes from Isaiah 61 and part of 58 and these passages are are about the Messiah that is to come Jesus knows what he's doing so here's what he says in verse 18 he quotes from Isaiah 58 and 61 says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me who's me it's the Messiah The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah is speaking, because he's anointed me, the Messiah, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. First, Jesus quotes, uh, I got to keep going, sorry. Uh, Look at verse 20. It says, And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Normally, he would have read that and then started, like I'm doing right now, explaining, hey, here's what this means. Here's, here's how this applies to our life, right? But <laughs> Jesus does something very different that day. And, and nope person ever will do this again he says that scripture i just read it's about me right now some preachers do this and some teachers do this in a way that is not godly but jesus does this and says i am fulfilling this i am the messiah i am the one god has sent this is a audacious claim right I, I know little fifth grade Jesus, right? No, 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 I know, I remember he was friends with my, my son. Like, you, you're the Messiah? He's saying he is the one that God's plan rests upon. He says, the Spirit is upon me, and he has anointed me to do these things. Now, these things are very important, and this is, this is going to be part of why they get so angry at him. Because Jesus, what he's saying is, these are the people that I've been sent to rescue. These are the people that I've been sent to save. And he uses four different categories of people. He says, first, he's been sent to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, when we hear poor, we think of, uh, we think of material possessions, right? That's not really what's in picture here. That might be the, the case, but what, what he's really talking about is spiritual poverty, right? It's the material poor, that's part of it, but it's more than that. It's that, that there's this spiritual poverty. There's this, this lack of, that, that there's this acknowledgement that we need something. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've been sent to the poor. I've been sent to those who know they need something spiritually i'm not sent to the rich who know they don't need something who think that they don't need anything i've been sent to the poor and so what what jesus and what luke is highlighting is this why do some people reject god and why do some people accept god because some people don't think think that they don't need god their riches or their, their achievement or their whatever has put them in a place where they don't think they need God. They have no need for God. Jesus says, I didn't come for those people. Who did I come to save? I came to save the poor. I, I came to proclaim good news to the poor. He says, I've been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. Captives is the idea of prisoners of war. People who have been captured by an enemy and held for ransom, for torture, for whatever. But what he's saying is, I've been sent to those who are captive and in bondage to what? To sin. Those are the people that I've been sent to. I'm here to give them freedom from their bondage to sin, right? This word freedom carries the idea of forgiveness, I'm here to bring forgiveness to those who are captives to sin. Now again, why do, why do some people reject him and why do some people receive him? Because some people think that they are free, that they don't need God, that they have no need to be forgiven. They, they are righteous and fully above and they have earned their way to God. Some people think that when Jesus comes, that, no, 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 that's cramping my style. I'm free to do what I want. No, no, no. He's saying you're a captive and you're in bondage to your sin. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you don't need saving. Right? Jesus comes to the captives, those who know that they are in bondage. He comes for the blind to give them sight. This is not, again, don't think physical. Physical. Don't think physical. He's talking about spiritual. And so he's saying, I came to those who are blind, who can't even see. I didn't come for those who can see and think they understand. Right? He's saying, I'm not here for the religious, those who who know all the rules and know how how to have the outward appearances. No, I came for those who literally are wandering around without any clue. Those are the people I came for. He says, I came for the oppressed to set at liberty those who are oppressed. These are people who are totally broken down by life, they're overwhelmed by maybe a, an evil master. Is one sense but I think in the spiritual sense what he's talking about is these people who have tried to measure up to the law they've tried to keep the Sabbath they tried to do all the rules they've tried to honor all these things and they feel oppressed they feel the weight of their imperfection and Jesus says I came to set those people free so why do some people reject God and why do others receive him Because some people know their need for him. The humble. But who doesn't know their need for God? The proud. The proud think they have it all together. The proud think they have earned their way to a relationship or or they're in the right family or whatever. And they don't even acknowledge God because they don't see themselves as poor, captives, blind, or oppressed. And Jesus says... This is why I came. I'm the Messiah, and I'm here for these people. Now let's look at how they respond. Look at verse 22. It says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So at first they're excited because they can tell he's teaching with authority, like what he's saying really is true. But then this doubt starts to creep in: Is this not Joseph's son? Right? They knew little Joseph as a little boy. They they had seen him and they they remembered him and they knew Mary and they knew Joseph and they wait wait you're, you're God's plan. You're the one that's here to say, like, Joseph, we know you. I'm older than you. I, I'm, I'm whatever. I took care of you. And they, these, this doubt starts to creep in their minds. They also may have wondered because when Jesus quotes this, this passage from Isaiah 61, he leaves out a section that says that this is the day of vengeance of our God. Right? So they, their view of the Messiah was he was coming to wipe out the Romans, to wipe out their earthly people. And Jesus leaves that out when he quotes this. So they're going, uh, we think the Messiah is coming to set up an earthly kingdom. We think the Messiah is coming to get us out from underneath the Romans. And all these doubts start to creep in. Is this Joseph's son? Right? They're doubting his status as the son of god that's what we've been talking about for weeks remember the genealogies about his him being the son of god the temptation in the wilderness what was it about are you really the son of god right all of these passages have been about this and now his people in his hometown who know him as the son of joseph are going is this really the son of god and jesus knows their hearts and here's what he says now, it's going to seem weird. <laughs> it's going to seem weird to us. It's not exactly what we would think of, uh, but let me explain it. Let's go. Verse 23. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Right? They're wanting Jesus to do something to prove that what he's saying is true. They, they want a miracle. They want a sign. They want a, a wonder, right? But, but this, this is a little idiotic, right? Because remember, Galilee's only this small little area. They knew what Jesus had done in Capernaum. They knew what Jesus had done by the Sea of Galilee. They knew all the miracles. Word spread. This is like Angelina County. The issue is not lack of evidence, They know Jesus, his word, and what he has done. This is not about lack of evidence. This is about a hardness of heart. Right? This is about hardness of heart. Jesus knows you don't need more evidence. You need a heart that is soft, a heart that is humble. You need to see yourself not as rich and capable and righteous and all these things. No, you need to see yourself as poor and captives and blind and oppressed. And Jesus says, verse 24, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. He's saying, like, even if I did a miracle, even if I went, poof, stones turned to bread, you wouldn't believe because you've got a hardness of heart. Right? So many of us, it's not about a lack of evidence. So many of your family members or friends that are close, it's not about a lack of evidence. They know who Jesus is. They've heard you talk about him. They know what Easter is about. They know the facts. But it's about a softness of heart. They're rejecting God because of their hardness of heart. And then Jesus uses two Old Testament stories to really get the people going. Look at it, verse 25. He says, In truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, So, a woman who was a widow. He uses this example from 1 Kings 17, and Elijah the prophet is not to send to the widows of Israel. Who's the, who's the prophet sent to? Zarephath. That's not a Hebrew name. In the land of Sidon, that's not part of Israel. Who did God send his prophet to? He sent it to a Gentile. He sent it to an outsider. He sent it to somebody not of the family of Israel, not of the family of Abraham. Whoa. To them, this was very offensive because they thought they were the only ones that God's grace was for. And he tells them that this has been who God is. He has always been concerned about the outsider, the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the captive, the Gentile, the widow. These people that we put on the outs, outskirts and outside of the, the center. Jesus says, that's who I'm here for. Just like that prophet was here for that widow Verse 27, he uses another example, and he says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. He uses another example where Elisha the prophet heals, not not just any outsider, not a widow, he heals Naaman, who is the commander of the army of the enemy of Israel. And this man, Naaman, heard that God might be able to heal him, and he comes to the prophet. And what does God do? He doesn't smite him. He doesn't knock him down. He heals even Naaman. Now, why is Jesus telling these Jewish people these stories? And why is Luke telling us these stories? He's telling us that God's salvation is for everyone but in a sense that statement is not even true because it's not for the heart of heart it's not for the prideful it's not for the boasting it's not for the self-righteous it's not that's not good news the good news is for the poor and the oppressed and the blind and the captives it's for the humble And he's saying to these people, if you would just be like this widow of Zarephath and this this enemy commander named Naaman, then you could receive this good news that I'm proclaiming. Look at verse 28. As they hear this news, it says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Not joy, not thankfulness. Not rejoicing, not glory, they're filled with wrath. Verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They're they're infuriated that he would say that God would save Naaman, but he won't save you because of your hardness of heart. They're infuriated that God's grace, like, like think about Jonah. Jonah is infuriated that God would want to save anyone from Nineveh. How, God, how could you? That's, they're not your people. They're outsiders. They're broken. They're destitute. And they're no different. They're infuriated so much so that they rise up and they push Jesus out and they try to hurt him even kill him. But thankfully, because we need the cross, he doesn't. Verse 30, it says, passing through their midst, he went away. They're so infuriated that the, it, it, this rage leads them to do something. And, and I, don't, I don't know, in the chosen, the crowd parts and he walks through, right? I don't know if he turns invisible in this moment. I don't know if he jumps or The scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know. But he passes through. And these people that so wanted to see a miracle to confirm that he really was the son of God, they did, in a sense. They saw something miraculous that they did not expect. But their hearts were not softened. So again, why does Luke tell this story first? He skips over a whole bunch of the glory, a whole bunch of the the incredible reception to Jesus and his ministry, and he goes straight here to Jesus' rejection. Well, one, he's pointing us to what's to come in Jerusalem, that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. John 1. But to any who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, right? He came to his own, the Jews, he came to his own, even Nazareth, his his people. But they did not receive this good news. Why? Because they did not see themselves as poor and captives and blind and oppressed. The gospel is not for the proud, the well-to-do, the religiously accomplished. It's not for the put-together religious people. Who is it for? Those of us who know we have a need. Those of us who are broken over our sin. This is the first step to receiving the good news of Jesus, is to admit that we are not good enough. Today, this is true in our families, this is true in our friends. Some people hear the good news of Jesus and they reject it. For all sorts of reasons. Some reject it because they're proud. They don't think that they need anything. Some reject it because they have it put together. Some reject it because they think that they have earned religious status and them and the big man upstairs got a thing going on, right? Some reject it because they see it for the weak. They see the good news is for those who really just can't cope with life. James four six tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble, right? Jesus came and it's good news for everyone, but it's good news for those who are humble enough to admit that we need a Savior. Today the the, the band's gonna come and lead us in one last song. Um, how are we to respond to this message? Well, the Bible says the way we are to respond when we hear the good news is to repent and believe. Right? We're to repent. We're to, retu- we're to turn from our self-righteousness. We're to turn from our have-it-all-togetherness. We're to turn from our, our pride. And we're to turn to God and confess our need for Him. We're to turn from our bondage to sin, and we're to turn to Christ and beg for mercy. God, heal me, cleanse me, set me free, right? We have to repent, and we have to believe in Jesus, that He is enough to save us. And so if you don't know Christ today, if you're stuck in your pride, your arrogance, your, your, your abilities, whatever, I implore you to repent to turn from that. It is a heavy weight that you cannot bear. And turn to Christ. He came to proclaim good news to the poor, He came to set the captives free, He came to, to give sight to the blind. And I can't remember the last one right now. Something about oppressed. But He came for all of that, for you. And so I hope you will turn today. Let's pray. Gotta. We come today as a people who know our need for you. God, we know that we're broken. We know that we're captives to sin if left to ourselves. We know that we don't have it all together. God, and we come as a people who have turned, repented from our sin and have turned to you and have believed on you and have have acknowledged with our lives and acknowledged before the congregation that, that we need you. We confess this morning that there's nothing better than you. There's no righteous achievement. There's no sin. There's no anything in our past that is better than you. And so I pray today, God, that we would be humble. I pray for uh, the family member, the person sitting in this room, God, who has hardness of heart. God, they don't need more evidence. God, they need humility. They need an admittance that they are not good enough. And that they don't deserve grace. God, but I pray that you would soften hearts today. And you would bring about repentance and belief in our lives. God, we long for that for our community, for our family, for our friends. And we pray that you would soften hearts, God, and use us in whatever means you would have, God, to proclaim the gospel, to pray with our friends and family, to to remind them of the truth, to invite them to church, to bring them to whatever, God. But I pray that that ultimately you would do your work, the thing that we are not able to do, and you would save. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.